We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike, and Sam is actually not here uh, this week, unable to record today. So I asked the best person I could think of to help me out this week, and that is from ArizonaSports.com, host of the Empire of the Suns podcast, writer, and a friend of ours, Kellen Olson. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing good. You don't want to talk about it, but I'll say it for you. Sam is holding up for more money, and if he appears again on this podcast, that means that he got what he deserved. <laughs> he's he's seconds away from sending an I don't want to be here <laughs> tweet. It's just <laughs> he's currently waiting in line at the uh at the salon uh to get ready to to send that tweet. But yeah, Sam will be back soon, hopefully. Um, yeah, when he tweeted, LOL, are you kidding me, four hours ago, that was not in reference to the loss to the Thunder. That was in reference to the amount of money that you were giving him for this. So. <laughs> that's, that's right. I sent him a, I sent him an offer, and he, he just refused it. He just refused it. That was his way. I transitioned it on the guest. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're recording this on Sunday night after the OKC game, which was an away game, meaning you weren't there. I'd like to clarify that because, I mean, you do go to away games in the playoffs at the very least. Are you planning on doing that this year, by the way? I will be, yes. Uh, and I'm super excited about it because I know that fans are scared about, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, but are scared about potentially Golden State or LA in round one. But obviously, for not for content reasons, but just for like great basketball <laughs> right. series reasons, as someone who doesn't have like an emotional stake in this, like every, like, pretty much everyone listening to this podcast does. I'm excited for Golden State. And then the Clippers, like that's one of the few road arenas or arenas in the NBA now where media still get to sit on the floor so I can hear a lot ah, more. That's cool. And then watch a lot more. So either of those or falling to the six and going to Sacramento, like for obvious reasons there too, that would be an awesome series getting to see the first playoff game there in Sacramento. So I'm good in my seat, but obviously as we'll get into, uh, different, different reasoning for you guys, I assume. You do have some good... Uh, city 
options to go to there as well. San Francisco, Los Angeles, those are fun cities to visit, especially when you don't have to pay for the hotel. <laughs> it's a be- it's a good place to go. So yeah, that'll be interesting. And we'll get into, like you said, we'll get into some of the options that uh, that the Suns could be facing in the first round because ultimately that's kind of how, I mean, you know how this works. It's just something that people want to talk about and we have to cover it like on every single podcast between now and when the playoffs come. And it, it feels a little locked in as far as where the Suns are at right now. Maybe home court could flip. But it just feels a little locked in as we're recording this, just for the record. The Portland Trailblazers, Los Angeles Clippers game is happening. So, you know, maybe even by the end of this podcast, we'll learn just if the Suns lost ground, basically, with the Clippers right behind them or or not. And, and those of you listening to this probably already know. But what stood out in the OKC game to you? Uh, it's just been what stood out the last five games. And we'll get into how people have taken them in. It's, it's now four losses in their last five and sure there's rotation choices. Sure. There's players that are injured. Sure. There's, uh, guys being put in different roles or whatever, but they just haven't been able to, they would have these games, especially on the road last year and two years ago where, there would be a starter or two missing and it just seemed like all the gears were spinning, especially like defensively and energy wise with their work rate and everything like that. And we saw that in the first eight, nine minutes of this game. And then they just kind of lost that. And then they just had a couple of really, really bad stretches, the end of the first and the third quarter. And then of course the 18 to two run in the fourth quarter where they just lost the game because of that. And then you go across these different games, right? You go to Sacramento, not a good start. You're chasing the game. You get back in the game and then you can't close it at the end. Golden State, you have to make a crazy comeback there again. You nearly make it. You get to the point where you have to execute the comeback and they can't. Milwaukee, similar kind of thing again where they're in the game there at the end. And even Orlando, Mike, I mean, that mm-hmm. it was a 9-0 run, I think, for the Magic to get it down uh, around like five minutes to get it tied with five minutes to go. Like that shouldn't have even been a game that went into crunch time or, or clutch minutes or whatever you want to call it, right? So they've just had these uncharacteristic stretches this year throughout the season, but especially to see it at this point in the year when we're talking about mid to late March where their focus levels and just how locked in they are should all be there and just their execution because they've always been such a smart and such a hardworking team. But the amount of it, uh, how many transition points was it against uh, Orlando? It was 29, 27. And then in this game, 31 points off turnovers, all 14 turnovers. It was basically... Every turnover was live ball and it went directly to (laughs) like a free layup or a free three or a free and one or something like that, essentially. So they've just been uncharacteristically off in that sense. And you can have theories as to why. Right. And and I'll let you take more of that. But I, I think that it's just that they're not playing smart enough basketball right now when. At least for me, I took for granted how smart of a team they always were. And they were never the team making the mistakes. They were forcing the mistakes. It just seems like they're making more of the mistakes more often. I don't really know why. Well, I will say that, and not to turn this podcast into any sort of referendum on the trade or anything, <laughs> anything like that, but for five years, regardless of who was playing in and out of the lineups, whatever you want to say, uh, Mikhail Bridges was playing. <laughs> You know, and I think yeah. maybe we took for granted a little bit just how much stability that added to the Suns because he literally played every single game during that stretch. There was not a game that he missed. And I think just having someone like that in every single game 
was really helpful. And I, you know, I really thought there was a chance that Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges would never be split up just because of that exact thing. And look, they did it for the right reasons. This is probably still, regardless of how people feel after bad losses like this, this is probably still the Suns' best chance at a title that they've ever had. And that's this team that they currently have um, because of Kevin Durant. But, you know, I think as a, a fan base, it's like we're learning how to watch the Suns without him a little bit. And, of course, all of that would be a lot easier without Kevin Durant. And that's the real lesson, or with Kevin Durant, I should say. That's the real lesson of these last five games. It's that it's just hard. You know, they traded essentially three good players. You know, Jay Crowder wasn't playing, but they traded three good players. That If they were playing on this team, it would be a lot different uh, during this stretch. So, without Kevin Durant, I mean, yeah, they would have won him. But I still agree. You know, I just want to say I still agree with you, though, because... It's, it is sort of uncharacteristic. There are uncharacteristic mistakes. And in this game, we should say for those who missed it, DeAndre in, did not play. They're calling it, is it a groin injury, Kellen? So I, I had the tweet. We uh, we were able to chase him down walking out because Emma Stone chased him down for a picture. That's a real sentence that I just said <laughs> aloud that actually happened in my life. And then we walked and talked with him for about two minutes as he was leaving. And he said groin. He told us groin. Now they're listing it as right hip, and he was pointing like around his hip, and Dwayne made sure to be like, it's a groin hip? He's like, groin. He's like, all right, you're kind of pointing at your hip, and he's like, no, it's my groin. So I, I don't know, but he was heavily limping, and it just seems like more of a, the way that I've been uh, through the soreness era, as I'll call it, Mike, Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. the way I've diagnosed it is that if we don't get a reevaluation date, that probably means they're more or less day-to-day, and we should expect them back within the next couple of games at the very worst. And it seems like that's where they're at, where we're at with this one, at least. And he definitely, I think, would have helped in this game in particular. Yeah. You know, the Suns had one, besides Devin Booker, who was incredible in this game, the Suns had one starter in double figures. And, you know, that means they had three starters in not double figures. And it's just, it's hard to maintain any offensive flow and really help, even against a team like OKC. And this was the first time the Suns have played against Shea. Uh, Gilgis Alexander in this game this season. By the way, doesn't it feel like the Suns are only playing OKC lately? <laughs> There's still another yeah. game against OKC on April 2nd in like a week and a half. Another OKC game. Three games in the last like two months of the season against that team. Well, wouldn't you say though with the thing about the starters and the scoring and everything that this has to be a defense first team and always should be? Because like 32, 33, 34 points by quarter in the last three quarters. Like that's... Yeah. That's pretty inexcusable for them. I know that the Thunder are not a laughing stock anymore. They're a pretty darn good team and all that. But, I, I mean, SGA went off. It, I'm sure you and Mike will talk more later in the week yeah. about, or you and Sam, sorry, will talk later in the week more so about, are, are they going to start doubling guys in these kinds of situations? Because the yeah. broadcast picked up on it. It's like they're trapping Devin Booker or Chris Paul at half court for the rest of the Before half game, court. Yeah, it's kind of crazy to see. And, look, these are all strategies that are working on the Suns that won't work when Durant's playing. You know, like we all are aware of that. And that's just kind of what has to happen during these stretches. But like the fact that Book can't even get the ball past half court without seeing two bodies is pretty new compared to, you know, he gets trapped around screens or whatever. But this is kind of a new uh, tactic. And it makes a lot of sense when the other guys are Josh Akogi, Tori Craig, Bismack Biombo, or Ish Wainwright, which they did go small in this game, which I think was part of the story. Because they just got murdered in those small ball minutes. Just could not do anything against this team. 
And I think that that's a result of two things. One, the small ball five is issuing Wainwright, which, you know, he's still just ish Wainwright. He can play well at stretches and can play well, um, you know, at a forward position. But how many times have they gone small this season? You know, that's what I was going to say. Just they yeah. don't have any experience doing it. And this should have been a good game to try it. I thought they should have tried it in the Warriors game when they went down by 100 points and they didn't really try it. You know, this game without DeAndre, and it just sort of made sense to try it. And it just, you could tell they didn't know what they were doing offensively and defensively. Right. From what I can tell, and, and I say this because of something we were talking about before we clicked record, you or I typically don't see the overreactions on Twitter outside of our replies. Like, we just sort of see what people, people are reacting to the reaction, you know? And for, so I say that as someone who's not entirely sure what people are saying, but from what I could tell, most of the reactions coming from this game were negative about the rotations and they were negative about Monty specifically. This box score is an adventure. They had eight players, I believe, who played from 13 to 21 minutes, which is yeah. a crazy little tidbit. Basley played seven and then it was Craig at 31, Paul at 33, Booker at 36. So we're talking about Okogi, Biombo, Wainwright, Landale, Payne, Lee, Shaman, and Ross, who all lumped up into like that eight-minute differential, essentially. And I think that the main thing that I'm realizing now and what this team is going to have to kind of decide on is how much more of this time without Durant do they want to use being experimental. And what I mean by that is, yeah, sure, we'll throw Darius Baisley out there as the 12th guy to play some small ball five. Yeah. Hey, sure, at the end of the game, when the game is actually on the line now, we'll still go back to it and we'll throw Ish out there for a couple of minutes and see what happens. Yeah, sure, Damian will get time even when Terrence Ross and Landry Shamit both play. And I think those are the types of decisions that you just have to make a decision on. And I'm not even sure which one is the right one because this yeah. is the classic everyone talks about this one way and doesn't look at it the other way. And what I mean by that is the people who are saying, why isn't TJ Warren getting minutes? Why isn't Darius Baisley getting minutes? Are the same people who are saying, why is the rotation all over the place? Why are there all these lineups out there? Like it... It, it's two different sides of it and you have to pick one eventually and I'm not even sure where I land. I lean more towards experimenting still and giving these guys a couple more games to see but at the same time the team is clearly not benefiting from the rhythm and Monty went on as a point to his first question or his first answer or just how he opened his postgame presser. He basically said something to the effect of I didn't give the guys a chance to kind of find a rhythm defensively and like the combinations that I was playing out there weren't really sustainable in that regard. So I, I don't even know what the right choice is, but that's the choice that he has to come up. Is he just going to play a solid nine or 10 here and have maybe one guy in that group change every now and then, or is he actually still going to really open it up and like have it be someone else every other night and sometimes go short with 12 guys? Cause that's the thing we didn't mention, Sam, there are people or Sam, I keep screwing up your guys' <laughs> names. I never do this. Everyone, people everyone listening. does actually. So people, people who started listening to the podcast post KD think I'm a schmuck. Like I've been on the podcast <laughs> for like five years at this point. I've known you guys forever. I feel so stupid. I'm so sorry. Um, people who didn't watch this game, they weren't, they were up 15 in the first half. So there was no reason to like, yeah. Oh, nothing's working. Right. we got to throw something at the wall until it sticks. Right. Like there was no reason to do it except to give guys some run. And that's what he decided with. And I, w I was fine with it, but it just didn't, it, it worked out rather horribly. Well, like there's small things I think that I would quibble with. And this is, and this is just me and my opinions on where they're at right now. 
if if you're gonna counter another team's small ball with a big, it shouldn't be Biz because you can guard Biz with a small guy. You know, the only chance that Biz is gonna score is really just going straight to the rim. Yeah, Biz can fight for rebounds and all that. Obviously, DeAndre Ayton's going to be the option in most of those minutes. When DeAndre Ayton's unavailable, I think it should be Jock. I think Jock is just a better option when teams try to go small if you're trying to counter it with size. So it's just a little thing like that, you know. And and But I do like that they tried to go small with Ish Wainwright. I, I think the Suns, in their current state, the, as sort of a one-star team where they are right now, it kind of it sucks to say it, but it kind of makes sense to try to match what other teams are doing against you. It's harder for them to dictate what's happening in the game. If DeAndre Ayton was playing, you know, in this game, I think you could have you could have forced them to go a little bigger if he was just you know sealing on guys and just scoring over their head, like we've seen him do time and time again when teams tend to go small, you know. But just small things like that, I think I would quibble with some Monty decisions, but I, I do think that. You know, there's a luxury of having Kevin Durant where you can experiment with Kevin Durant playing and still win the game. And then when he's out, you know, you have Devin Booker still, but in the minutes without him, if you if you try different things, you're probably gonna win some and you're gonna lose some. It's not a, as much of a guarantee as it is with Durant playing. I will say, Josh Okogie only playing 21 minutes. If it just doesn't feel like enough to me, you know, as far as these guys go. There's guys that have earned minutes, and there's guys that are still trying to earn minutes, and Josh has earned minutes. He's he's the guy that's like on the list of guys that are, you go, well, he's going to play the playoffs. You know, the rest of the guys coming off the bench, they're still trying to figure that out a little bit. And I think, you know, Josh Okogia, I imagine 21 minutes is going to be a low point of his minutes going forward <laughs> for the rest. I think there's 11 games left this season. Can you believe that? Only 11 games left. Yeah, 11 to go. Uh, probably like Craig and Okoge flipped, right? Like Craig at 31, yeah. Okoge at 21. Yeah. You probably want to see that flipped. To my point at the start, just about execution, since the All-Star break, and this is over a dozen game, dozen of 14 games for teams, and in this case it's 11 for the Suns since the All-Star break, they're 10th in offensive rating and they're 9th in defensive rating. So they should be much better than 6-5 and five with those kind of numbers, yeah. right? Like their net rating is 4 which is eighth in the league. And if you look at all the teams around them, eight and five, 11 and two, seven and five, nine and three, nine and three, those are all the teams that are ranked above them, essentially. Like they should be doing a little bit better than that. So it's just these little parts that they're not really picking up on. And it's weird, Mike, because Chris had a pretty good game today. He had 14, six, 13, yeah. three and one. And he was five of 15. But that felt like a game he could have been 12 of 15 in because they were giving him that mid-range jumper and he just missed about five or six of them that we normally see him make in his sleep. And that's not the difference in this game, though. I, again, I go back to defense. Like, they scored 120 points. You look at Booker with 46 and then see 14, 10, 12, 8, 7, 7, and you think offense, he's not getting enough help, all this kind of stuff. But they hit 15 threes as a team. 12 of those came from guys not named Devin. And then, of course, the 32, 33, 34-point quarters and all those points off turnovers. Like, that's why they lost this game. So it it's just a... If you want to talk more about how the standings look and like the big picture going forward, yeah. it's just one of those losses. If there is a loss to look back on post-All-Star break, if they wind up one game out of something, this is the loss for sure, without a doubt. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. I mean, it would have been in Orlando had they lost to Orlando, uh, but they, mm -hmm. they pulled that one out. The other teams I think the Suns played are just like definitively good teams now. The Warriors are a different team on the road and at home, but they played the Warriors at home, and that's the good Warriors. 
had they lost to the Warriors at home, Suns being at home, that would be like losing to a bad team as well. What a weird season for them. Uh, but they need help, and one guy came back, and we should talk about him, Landry Shamit. He's back. Looked pretty good in this game. You know, had 10 points, was 3 for 4 in his shooting. You kind of, it's, I, the importance of what Landry Shamit is to this team has like completely skyrocketed now that they've lost other, you know, role players on the team in, in Mikel Bridges, who is now a star apparently, and Cameron Johnson, who is a role player. Uh, but Shamit and what he is and the importance to the team, like I could see him starting by the end of this season. I could see him in the playoffs starting for this team if they need somebody like him who who can actually hit shots to play more minutes but regardless of whether or not he starts I think the importance of what he's going to be uh we can all see it and you could even see in this game you know just running around hitting shots on the move or hitting wide open corner threes chasing guys without fouling you know that's something he's capable of doing and even had two assists uh, in this game even though he did turn it over a few still can't really dribble too much <laughs> I would say uh, but what do you think of Landry Shamit? Yeah, don't dribble with Jalen Williams guarding you. Yeah. Uh, the L-E-N, Jalen Williams. <laughs> uh, that kid's really, really good. I wrote in the recap today on ArizonaSports.com basically that his role has completely changed because when he came here, it was like, okay, perfect third guard. And then as the games progressed and progressed, it was just about a lack of aggression, a lack of just intuitive decision-making that was there. It just didn't seem to add up naturally for him with the quick decisions that he had to make with the ball, whether it was playing in point five, whether it was actually handling it, running pick and roll, and so on. But when this team's fully healthy, they don't need any of that from his skill set anymore. They just don't. They won't. Yeah. They just need him to shoot, and they need him to defend. And the weirdest part of his whole thing here is that he it's only like two or three percentage points or whatever, but I thought he was going to come here and be a 40% three-point shooter because that is more or less what he had been in his career. Right. And he's been at 37 here, which is a little bit lower. The catch-and-shoot numbers are 39, which is still pretty good. But, of course, defensively, if you look at his spot, right, as the ninth man in the rotation, the second guard off the bench after Payne, like it's no contest between him, Lee, and Ross. I think all three of them try just as hard. But we even saw Ross in this game today, like he was getting to the right spots a lot more on the ball. But again, he just couldn't stop fouling and fouling in situations where most guys don't foul, like in a way that really hurts you. And Lee, we just see him get picked on a bit too much. He understands more where to be than Ross. I think both of them understand enough to be out there. Just if you were counting for positionally where they are and, and, and communicating and all that stuff, they do that stuff. But Shaman is the guy who really has chops on the ball, navigating around screens, chasing guys around. Like you said, he's been a legitimately good defender. And the, and the shot making and the, and the three-point shooting kind of is what it is at this point. Yeah, it's just such it's a fine. stark... Right. It's just a stark difference when you start a Kogi and Craig and then you have Ross and Shaman off the bench. Yeah, you know? exactly. And it's like they're, they're, they're shooting yeah. on the floor now. And then what you hope happens in the last 10 games is... When you go with those shooting heavy lineups, you start to see the driving lanes open and players recognize that the driving lanes are kind of open out there, which is why I tweeted, even though this was like the lineup where everything started to go horribly wrong, there was, I think in the third quarter, there was Payne, Ross, Shaman, and Booker out there with Landale. And I was like, I want to see the KD small ball five lineup with that because that's just ultimate spacing. That's Booker and Payne playing downhill. That's KD having all this shooting around him and decision making around him that's pretty darn good defensively I know that it would be a mixed bag but scoring wise it would be pretty much close to unstoppable it would be one of the best offensive lineups they could put together so uh, I'm really looking forward to how 
Shamit sort of changes the little tweaks in the rotation they can make here and there because there are moments, especially before Shamit came back, and I think this is why Akogi only played 21 minutes, where uh, the comparison that I made in writing and the comparison I made on our podcast is the guy they played against today, Lou Dort. You might remember that series against the Rockets when he was a rookie. Yep when he took eight, nine threes a game and shot 18% before (laughs) the the seventh game when he hit seven and almost went nuts and beat the Rockets on his own. That's the kind of thing I worry about where you want him to shoot it, he's going to keep shooting it, but he's just going to miss too many. And we've seen that come up in a different couple of games now. Orlando was the good version where he just was attacking off the dribble anyway and he shot two of 10 from three and it didn't really matter that much. And then, of course, the Dallas game was a negative example when he couldn't really be out there on the floor anymore. So there's just this balance they have to find of these negative shooting lineups that they're putting out there by starting Craig and Akogi or later on when Katie comes back to be potentially playing Craig and Akogi together. But you would assume that's just kind of done, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you, Mike, that like yeah. Craig and Akogi being on the, on the floor at the same time together once Durant's back, like that'll never happen again? I think you could almost make the case to not do it anymore now, <laughs> even before that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like if you want to say start a Kogi and Shamit and yeah, it's small, but at least you have a little bit more shooting or even, you know, take a Kogi off of the starting lineup and start Shamit in the meantime, just because without Kevin Durant, you lose so much offensively. I mean, we're look, what are we 20 something minutes into this podcast? And we've barely talked about the fact that Devin Booker had 46 points and they needed every single one to be in this game. Like imagine if he had sort of a normal Devin Booker night, which of course, in March is still close to 30 points a game uh, for him. Uh, But, you know, they don't have a lot of offense in that starting lineup right now. And, you know, DeAndre Ayton, of course, would have helped. But, you know, Ayton, even with Craig and Akogi on the floor, can't get near the rim because there's three guys in the paint. You know, you almost need Ayton to shoot a bunch of mid-range shots over and over and over again because nobody's afraid of an offense built around Akogi and Craig three-pointers. Well, they're playing that deep drop against DA more. More. I don't know how much you guys have been talking about that on the playbacks yeah. and stuff. Obviously, the Lopez game stood out against Milwaukee, but even Carter was doing it. Like they're just playing Lopez deep drop against treated him. DeAndre and like he was Josh Okogi essentially. Yeah. That, that was shot, wild. That shot Landale had where Lopez didn't even turn towards him was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, "You go shoot it. I'm looking at the rim already to see if this is a miss to grab it." And I'm like, "Oh my god, <laughs> dear God, Kevin Durant, come back." soon please because he just bends and contorts defenses into things that they're not necessarily uh trying to do but let's i think that's enough about okc we it was an interesting game though i'm glad we spent the time that i think it's deserved and uh what i did for this you know i I didn't prepare you at all which i think is is it shows my confidence in you uh kellen because i didn't really tell you what we were going to talk about before this at all I, I'm not an outline guy. I've never been an outline yeah, guy. Yeah, me neither. I, I appreciate that about you. I, yeah. I pulled stats, just a bunch of random stats, and I'm going to read them to you. And then we will talk through just how we feel about those stats. I'll get your reaction, and, and we'll use that a way, as a way to talk about the whole season because we haven't had you on. We've talked to you a bunch of times. As people who join us in the playbacks know, we talk to you all the time. I, I mean, I personally talk to you all the time in DMs. So we talk a lot about the Suns, but it's the first time I think we've had you on this podcast since before the season had even begun. So I think it's a mm-hmm. good chance to throw some stats at you. Most of them are recent, uh, but I still want to throw some other stuff at you. Uh, first one, I called it KD and the three. So this is Kevin Durant 
Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre, and they played 62 minutes when Kevin Durant was here. 62 minutes with all four of those guys on the floor. In those 62 minutes, they had a 134 offensive rating, a 100 defensive rating, and a net rating of plus 34. Most of those minutes were with Josh Okoge. Put anyone else, whoever you want, in that because we know the options and what they are for the Suns. But yeah, what did you think about the minutes with Kevin Durant when he actually played in those three games? Dude, it was it was awesome. It was it was really great because I think the best part was that he was like at like a three out of ten for how comfortable he was. You can kind of tell. Yeah, there were certain plays, and I think he said after the first game, like he was getting frustrated because he there were certain offensive sets, and even in the uh, the last one in the Dallas game, uh, there was a play that I broke down on Twitter where. Uh, he was at the elbow and like brought on a double team essentially. And when Chris called out the play, he kind of looked around and then like pointed like his book doing the curl. And then he got the nod and he was like, oh, okay, then I go there. Right. Like it, he's still figuring that kind of stuff out or was at least in, in those three games. But stylistically, I just think that the, we can sit here and, post our breakdowns of what we think the minute allocation should be and what we think the rotation should be. But until you see Devin Booker on the bench to start the second quarter and then see Kevin Durant out there, you're like, oh, right. Yeah. That that's gonna be difficult for other teams to deal with. Yeah. And I think we saw that in the first couple of games here where though that bench unit specifically was like, oh, we're just going to get not get carried by Kevin Durant, but we're going to play around Kevin Durant now whenever we come into the game, basically. Like, we're going to come in and play those first couple of minutes with Book like we normally do, but when we're used to him going to sit, and then it's our time, like, it's not necessarily your time. It's, it, it's the opposite more so. That becomes Durant's time where it's sort of him being the number one option more consistently. So there were sort of just these rotation dynamics already, that sort of stood out, and I wrote um, extensively before he got here about his weak side rim protection, and we just saw like the very, very beginning of it, and this is where our friend David, our Australian correspondent, has kind of been <laughs> hinting at what they can pick up in these six games he's more concerned about defensively than offensively, and I think I would assume he's on the same page as me where it's like, oh man, the possibilities for them with a weak side rim protector, but just how much can they absorb of that in those five or six games because we saw it in some of those games like da was playing high we were calling it out on the Mm -hmm. on the playback Mm -hmm. and then you'd look and there's kevin durant under the rim and you're like oh my god like they they could do so much now she just like unlocks this whole other thing within their team uh and then i just think offensively it was so easy for him to kind of fit and flow within what they do and again he barely not barely but he barely had a feel for how they move around but he was still enough of a savant to kind of pick up on exactly where he needed to be and when it was his time and when it was someone else's time like picking up on the rhythm of uh, da and roles and things like that like he was starting to get more and more of that going towards the dallas game and it was just one of those things where it's like oh like he's got an instant connection with jock yeah oh he's got this kind of thing with that. And you just knew that kind of stuff was going to build and build more and more in three games. But for him to be through three games and already have like a 
like a partner in crime like Jock where we pick up on how well they play together and pick up on, okay, like his chemistry with Aiton just like needs to get better because DA is a unique roller to play with because he plays in the short roll. He goes to the floater a lot more. Yeah. The lob, you have to wait like an extra second normally than with anyone else right, probably right. for the lob. You can't There's throw bounce passes at his feet. You can't catch him. I wasn't going to mention that part, <laughs> but yeah. like He it, did it. it I mean, kinda... Durant did it. So, you know, like a lot of centers can, but Aiton struggles to catch passes at his feet. But it was just it was just really good basketball to watch. What did he say in his intro presser? Like I just want to put on good film. It was a lot of really 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 good film. And I my favorite part of watching all of it was how much he wanted to establish trust with like all of his teammates. Like the jock thing, they were trapping him every time in those top of the second of the fourth quarter. He's yep. like, man, didn't even you're getting that pocket pass yeah. twenty feet out every time, and I trust you to make the right pass after that or the play, whatever you want to. But call you know it. when he didn't do that. When he when hit the game he winner, <laughs> when that he hit the true. game winner against the Mavs, and that's a cool thing about uh, KD is that situational awareness thing. I I, I think the Suns actually uh, struggle a little bit with guys that have that kind of situational awareness now that Mikael Bridges and, and and Cameron Johnson are gone because it's it's something DeAndre Ayton has struggled with in the past. You know, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, both pretty good at it. Tory Craig. Not so good at it. I hate to pick on Torrey Craig. I, I've been doing it a lot, but not so great at it. You know, Josh Kogi, it remains to be seen. I don't think we've seen enough minutes with him to really figure it out. But uh, KD, you know, I like that he in the second or third quarter, he's going to give it to Jock Landale over and over and over again and just see like, hey, let's see what happens. We can get open shots out of this. Let's take those open shots right now and try and build a lead. But, you know, when the time comes and they're trapping and he can get around the trap and he can get to the rim and shoot a shot, he made the right choice and he hit the game winner against those Mavs. And yeah, I think, you know, we are at a point where these last five games have sucked. You know, it's not super fun as a fan. You know, I speak as a fan here. I won't make you do it, but as a fan, they've sucked to watch, you know, it's just seeing them struggle when Devin Booker is having the season that he is. And I don't want people to get too far away from, remembering just how good it looked <laughs> it looked really good there uh for a few games and you know one of those teams in the bulls were a top five defensive team this season so you got to give them credit for what they did against them as well and i just can't wait till he gets back we don't know when it's going to be might be th- well the dallas the dallas game was literally the whole reason right because it was two stars battling with two stars and it just used to be book before yeah it really did and then it was like we have the two stars and we have the better two stars if you guys want to do the who can score and assist every single point in the rest of this game like we'll do that that's fine yeah yeah but they but they sort of didn't do that it was it was great yeah it was it was remarkable to see and i hope people don't uh get too far away from that get too far away from remembering that it's like a week away yeah week and a half away yeah it's already been five five games yeah it's okay we'll get there We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Devin Booker in the games since Kevin Durant went down with his ankle injury. Is that, this just March? Yes. Yeah, so it's just like the Ooh, last six I games. I use these. Yeah, I use these. Yeah. Yeah, last six games. 33 points per game, 3.7 rebounds, 3.2 assists, 58% from the field, 42% from three, 86% from the free throw line, a true shooting percentage of 67%. As a 33-point-per-game score. Those are Jokic numbers. What's this Raptor? <laughs> Those are Jokic numbers. And similar to Jokic, the Suns are just plus one <laughs> in his minutes <laughs> per game. Actually, that's probably the most similar to what Steph Curry is currently dealing with. The difference between Jokic and Steph Curry and them just carrying their team in the minutes they play and still barely able to win games with them is that those teams are not waiting for Kevin Durant to get back. You know... The Suns are, <laughs> and that's a pretty big difference as far as what's going to happen when that does happen. But I just this is one of the stats I pulled for you, and I'd like to hear your reaction just to how good Devin Booker has been lately. Yeah, like losing sight of it is a th- good thing to bring up, right? I always bring it up with Chris Paul this season because he was an all-NBA guard the last two years, or three years, I'm sorry, not, or two of the last three years, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Like he was, he was just at a supremely high level, and with Book, he was first team All NBA last year. So I mean, it's he was one of the best players in basketball last year, and we just didn't get to see it enough this year because of happenstance. Like he sort of, he took a while to get going this year, but at that sort of high, high level, right? And then he drops what was it here, 49 in one game, and then a couple of games later he had that 44-51-41 stretch, and then it was very clear that he had hurt something in there along the way because I believe one of those games was one where he, that was a Chicago game where the 51 was in three quarters, I believe. And then he gets hurt for a bit. He wants to come back for, uh, he comes back after two games and he scores the 58. And then he sits for three more games and he wants to come back on Christmas and then we don't see him again for two months. Like it was... He was just sort of getting there, getting to that point where he is one of the best players in basketball again, and then the injuries started to come for him, and so now we're starting to see it, but I'm, I'm looking this up right now. The splits over his career have always been March has been the, the time where he really gets going, mm-hmm. so yeah, over his career right now, he's now at 27.6 points per game in March, which is four points per game higher than February. That is seven points per game higher than December, and it's six points per game higher than November. So he's he's always been that type of player that towards the end of the regular season, that's when he really really gets going. I've asked about I've asked him about it a couple of times, and I've never gotten like a great answer because maybe there just isn't really anything to it besides just that's when he gets going. And I'll try and ask again later this month because it looks like he's just going to keep going at this sort of stretch. But he. 
He's one of the best ten players in the league, man. Yeah, like I'll 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 name him. Like it, it it's it's that ten to twelve range, but I I put him at ten. Like right now, when I count right. down the guys in the league, I really think that he's reached that kind of level where there's two tier breakoffs. Really, there's the guys who are the best. Who who is the best player in the world? And that's where you can debate. Like I I think a lot of people, including you and I, would just say it's Giannis. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think so. You would be there. Yeah. But in the past, it was like, okay, AD can be that guy some nights. LeBron can be that guy some nights. Embiid can be that guy some and nights. And Kevin Durant is like guy. very firmly in that conversation. In fact, still Durant can be that guy. Some you nights. can you Steph can make can an argument that, that he's still nights. better than Giannis. It's just Giannis's consistency and lack of yeah. injuries is, is what. So it's yeah. like it's like those five or seven guys, right? Yeah. And like maybe you have Luca in there, maybe you don't, or whatever. That's where we start to get to Tatum, and then you get to Devin Booker. Like that that's the company that he's in. Right. I think it's right after that tier is the tier that he's jumped in because when he was like a top 30 player in the league four or five years ago, we talked about this a lot on my podcast, just how big of a jump that is to go from 30 to 15 and how you think about the star level in this league and how much better it gets. Like he's a true, I don't use the word lightly, superstar. He is at this point in his career and he's showing it right now over the stretch where guess who knows better than anyone right now in, including just everyone closely involved in the process like the team's rhythm and all that is kind of disjointed the guy playing his best basketball of the season right now because he knows they need it yep yep i think when i when sam and i were talking about what we anticipated with kevin durant joining is one of the things we anticipated was a slight dip in devin booker's scoring and and even in the game it's only three games but even in those games it was it was an increase and obviously since then a dramatic increase because of the extent to which he has to carry the team offensively. But I, I think I didn't really factor in the fact that they lost a couple of really great offensive players and that when you lose a couple really great offensive players and replace them with one, somebody else has to pick up that slack and it's been Devin Booker so far. You know, nobody else has really increased their scoring load. DeAndre Ayton's went down. Chris Paul's went down. You know, only Devin Booker has had this dramatic increase and quietly he's averaging the most points per game uh in his career and also the highest field goal percentage of his career so far and i think that's sort of gone under the radar there's so many other storylines with this team to talk about and just the the season that devin booker is having 59 percent up to 59 percent true shooting percentage on the season so far only one season in his career has he had over 60 percent and that was the 1920 season where he was just absurd from the three-point line and got a ton of free throws. That was the year where he shot a ton of free throws. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just... Wait, do you want to talk about free throws and officiating or no? I actually have something on that. Oh, you do? <laughs> I was kidding. Oh, all right, go ahead. Second lowest free throw rate of his career, Devin Booker. And the highest percentage of his shots between three and ten feet. Not the highest percentage of his shots within three feet of the basket, meaning layups or dunks but the highest percentage within 10 feet outside of that, which I I don't, I don't know. I, I consider myself a fan. I think Devin Booker gets shafted on calls pretty regularly. I don't think it's like a huge, huge, huge thing where he's missing out on five points per game or something like that. But, but I do think he does. But I would like to hear your opinion, if only because I consider you, although I know you grew up a fan of the Suns, I consider you to be much more objective than me in your analysis and do you feel like this is a problem? Because he definitely does, and but every star player kind of does. Uh, so I don't know. What do you think? I I think that he does not get the whistle that he deserves. I'll say that much. But 
people are watching SGA get call after call in this game. They're like, man, why is SGA getting all these calls? Well, he leads the league in drives per game. Like yeah. he, he goes to the rim more than anyone. And that's not to say that Devin Booker doesn't or he doesn't draw contact. You just provided stats that indicate that he gets closer to the, takes more of his shots closer to the rim than ever in his career right now. But again, you compare it to Giannis, I, I rarely touch on it, but I've had to mention it now because it's become such a story. Like the majority, I would say 30% of my audio after the Milwaukee game was talking about officiating. So Chris Paul said, write what, write what y'all see. So I did write what I saw and then I kind of gave my two cents that you can go read on the site if you want to about the Giannis thing and how much is too much and if there's a balance, if there's not, whatever, right? Um my thing with it is when do you feel like the complaining is too much? When do you like I'm asking I'm asking you because yeah. I don't know, but they were complaining about ev nearly every possession in the fourth quarter today, they were complaining about a call. And it's just at a certain point it's not helping. And I if you feel that the Suns don't get calls because they're the Suns or whatever you got to think about why. And there are fans who truly believed it was because of Robert Sarver at one point. Yeah, well, I mean, Tim Donaghy is the reason for that, for the record. Co correct. But at this point now, it's like, okay, if you believe the Suns don't get calls, like, why is that? I, and this is where people, again, will say, like, Luka t complains about the officiating more than anyone in the league and all that stuff. And I completely agree on that specific point. <laughs> yeah, somebody uh, quantified it compared to LeBron. It was pretty hilarious analysis, but all yeah. All of this is to say, I do think that they don't get calls, but I cannot, and this is what everyone needs to uh, together, please together realize, you cannot quantify it to any other team because we do not watch any other team every single game. Yeah, right. We just, we cannot, it is, if anyone is able to quantify that, I worry about their mental sanity because that means they're watching every single game for every other team. <laughs> it's impossible. Is that even, is that even possible I to mean, do I mean, with the standards of time? Steve and Jones, like Nikias, they're probably the closest. Yeah. I'd be curious what their thoughts. Maybe I'll ask one of those guys. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I do believe that they don't get as many calls than other teams just based on the patterns we see against the other teams that they play, I guess, if that's right. And I watch neutral games more a little bit more and I do believe that if you had to rank the top 20 players on like the whistles that they got or whatever I guess I would put Booker pretty low on that list but again I'm not watching Tatum 40 times a night I'm not watching Dame 50 times a night I don't know and I just feel really I feel so comfortable with saying I don't know and sort of shrugging at these things yeah and a lot of people do and that's always been something about like my own sort of analysis and these kinds of things but man I got to say it that like to, to end on it, it's just a bad look to even have the rep, the whistle be a conversation in this game. And the Suns, it from what it seems like post game did not make that choice, which is good. Cause again, 31 points off turnovers, yeah. off 14 turnovers and those horrendous runs at the end of the quarter, yeah, missing like, nine shots in a row, stuff like that. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the worse. Live ball turnovers. Yeah, yeah. All that kind of stuff. So that's my spiel on it. But I don't know. Do you, do you feel like, I think you agree with me, obviously that Booker doesn't get a good whistle, but do you feel like it's noticeable enough for you? I, I think I think that Devin Booker has, as far as as it pertains to complaining, I think Devin Booker has earned the right to to complain occasionally throughout games. Everyone else, I kind of don't I don't want it, <laughs> you know. Like those guys need to get back on defense, and so does Booker most of the time. But I will say, uh, Book often complains about calls after he makes shots for a longer period of time than when he misses. 
Um, if they were getting every foul call to go back to your stat, where would they be in free throw rate? 19th, 21st, 23rd? Yeah, it would go they up a little they bit. Wouldn't yeah. be a, it would go up, but it wouldn't go up like a crazy amount. Right? No, yeah. They'd still be a bad team at generating free throws. They built a team of guys who don't really get to the free throw line, and, and that's, no. that's just where they're at. Kevin Durant will help a lot. Uh, There's you know, a reason that Aiton does not get a good whistle. It's because he has not shies away from in contact situations consistently. And None of them are reckless. The refs know that. I yeah. mean, to an extent, Giannis is reckless. To an extent, SGA is reckless. You know, they're throwing their body around to get those calls, and that's why Josh Okogie gets more calls at the rim as far as a ratio of shots at the rim to free throw calls. That's why he gets a lot more than Devin Booker. But you know, he he has the ability of doing that. Whereas if Devin Booker was putting his body on the line like that. I don't think it would benefit the Suns very much. Just I mean, because SGA put his forearm like right through Damian Lee in, during that game. And like, he just sometimes he's going to get that benefit of the doubt. That's called benefit of the doubt for a reason. That's, that's what it is. And it applies to officiating whether you like it or not. I looked, at, I looked at like the ratio of drives per game to free throws on those drives <laughs> for Devin Booker and stuff like that. Just because I was trying to look. And look, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. pretty consistent over the course of his career. You know, I think he was shafted a lot like early in like 2018 when he was young and people didn't realize he was a star yet. But like the last few years, it's essentially the same. And, you know, there's one player in the league that has as exactly the same number of shots within five feet of the rim as Devin Booker. There's one player in the league. Uh, You would never guess it, so I'm not going to make you guess it. It's Kevin Porter Jr. And it's a weird number for Devin Booker because he's missed so many games. So it's a lot smaller than normal. And I looked at that number compared and compared their free throw rates and it's essentially exactly the same you know kevin porter jr devin booker have exactly the same free throw rate now if that bothers you because kevin porter jr is a very young player that has not earned the benefit of the doubt from referees and being that they have the exact same free throw rate and they take the exact same number of shots within five feet of the rim i get it but to me, the number of shots near the rim and the free throw rate being the same, I was like, oh, okay, well, that kind of makes sense to me as well. You know, the benefit of the doubt maybe not being there for Devin Booker could be directly related to the amount of complaining. We don't actually know. Or the type of complaining. <laughs> we don't know what he's actually saying in those words. I don't know if you've ever been close enough to hear it, but I can't imagine it's very nice uh, by, by Devin Booker. That's just the same old stuff. Yeah, he fouled me, that kind of thing. What are you looking at? Yeah. Where? What? How? That's kind of, you know, the one words. In the six games, I have more stats. In the six games where Devin Booker was averaging an insane amount. And look, Booker was averaging an insane amount before those games. But I thought these last six games are interesting just to look at these stats because it's, like it's like a different team. You know, it's post-Kevin Durant trade, but without Kevin Durant. Uh, Jock Lando has a plus 17 net rating in those six games. Isn't that weird? You know, I think that was partially because he comes in and just absolutely blew the doors off the Warriors. That was like the stretch where they actually played well for the first time in that game and did not get any minutes when Klay Thompson was making every single shot. So it's just like sort of selective. But the other thing that stood out to me was Torrey Craig, who essentially has been the worst in net rating sets for the Suns. And this is, of course, how the Suns play while Torrey Craig is on the court, not an entire Torrey Craig stat, but... He was plus nine in those games as well. So I think the fact that they're playing a little better with Torrey Craig on the court lately is a good sign for for the future. I hope that uh, that stays. 
He's been pretty good. I know he. I, I know people are throwing their whatever out the whatever right now where they're listening to that me say that because of the turnovers he had today. But I thought defensively he was really good, and then in the uh, the Orlando game he was awesome. He was incredible in the Orlando game. I thought that was probably his best def- like singular defensive game of the season. If he starts to play well and then goes back to his actual role, which is a forward off the bench, that's very good for the Suns. That could be very good. The combination of Jock Landell and Torrey Craig, when we saw it, when the team was healthy, you know, coming in at the same time and just being these guys who are just relentless on the boards was fun. I'm looking forward to that happening again when he's playing his proper role. All right, more stats for you. Since February 1st, Chris Paul, 12 points per game, 10 assists per game, 40% shooting and 20, yeah. 26% from three. Small caveat, he also has two steals per game which I think is pretty remarkable that he's still capable of doing that. But the shooting is is just not been there, and it's been over a month now. And, uh, yeah, how concerned are you, I guess, is the best way to ask about this. I am beyond treating it like a concern and just treating it like a formality as to what it is, and I am very ready to be proven wrong. But So we come into the year, right, and it's like, okay, like there, there's no two stars anymore on the team. It's Booker. And then the second guy, we'll see based on the night. Yeah, sometimes like Mikhail, oh, sometimes oh, Aiton, sometimes Chris hopefully Paul. Hopefully yeah. it's DeAndre and Mikhail. And you have a new big three. Like, right? Like, that was a super optimistic turn. But you knew that it just wasn't going to be him sort of every single night anymore. And I think that that was, that was more or less you, you were kind of okay with that. But the number that I had in my recap after the Orlando game that is now held up in this game, too. It's 20 straight games where he's failed to reach 20 points. And, like, I'm not treating 20 points like an end-all, be-all. Like, he had a couple of games where he finished with 18 points, 17 points, to be clear. So, if he hit a three or whatever, it would have been done with. But So, that is the longest stretch of his career in one season. Uh, 15 games was a previous long, and only seven times in his career did that go double digits. So, over the course of his entire career, he's found a way in some patches to be that score. I mean, we would see it even in the years where he was at an all NBA MVP candidate level, right? Like he would have eight, 14, 17, 33, 26, 14. Like it would, it would bounce around a bit, but you would get those high end offensive scoring outputs out of him. And it's just not happening now. And the, to go back to concern and formality, he just hasn't been the mid range God this year. He just hasn't been it yeah, uh, yeah. this year on mid range stats here. Here are some crazy numbers, folks. If you're on cleaning the glass and you're familiar with how it works, when you see a percentage next to it, there's a number, and it'll either be super-duper blue, kind of like a fading blue. Mm -hmm. It'll be white if it's in the middle, and then it'll kind of get orange, and then it'll turn like super dark orange like to facilitate 1 to 100 percentiles. These are the percentile ranks for him over his career for mid-range efficiency. 75, 38, 92, 94, 94, 93, 86, 100, 88, 97, 93, 98, 97, 85, 92, 93, 100. This year he's down to 80. He's shooting 80% or 48%, excuse me, from all mid-range. But the weird number here, uh, Mike, is that he's shooting 43% on long twos this year. That's at the 61st percentile. That's just slightly above average. Yeah. And again, he is the year before, 55, 52, 51. Like he just used to be knocked down. Now, the interesting thing here, Mike, his last year in Houston, he was at 44% on those long twos. Mm-hmm. That's when injuries were starting to catch up to him a bit. 
So I know it's five years later, and he's five years older. That's when people that's, thought his career was over. If people, that's remember. when people <laughs> that yeah, that's when people yeah. looked at him going to OKC and shrugged and said yeah. like, how did they even get Westbrook or whatever it was? Right, it was Westbrook, I think. I'm mm-hmm. struggling to remember. But on those floaters, like short mid rangers or whatever, he's still at fifty two percent, which is still extremely good. But yeah, I mean, it it's nothing new in terms of that. He's still barely shooting at the rim. He's taking twenty one shots at the rim all year, which is right on base with sort of where he was last year and the year before he's still taking just about as many shots from the mid range, but he's just not making those shots enough. Now he relies on the jump in his jump shot a lot. And that's where I just start to, that's where I didn't worry, but I remember Kevin and I had a conversation the night that the OKC trade happened. And as far as wear and tear concerns and how old he was and all that stuff, that was just one part that I mentioned to keep an eye on because he just relies on the jump. And it didn't even matter about the contest because he would jump high enough to get the arc on his shot and he would be all good. He, like, the jump still looks fine, but some of these misses, including today, like I mentioned, like a handful of them, he just didn't miss. He just His efficiency just hasn't been in this extremely incredible range that it normally is in. And when you take all that into account, Mike, it just suddenly doesn't make him a great scorer anymore. Yeah. So... Is he not a great scorer anymore? He hasn't been this year. He hasn't been a good scorer yeah, this year. Yeah, he's so. fine. He's This is the Jason Kidd Mavs era of his career so far. Now, whether or not that it persists through the playoffs remains to be seen, of course, because actually at the end of last year, he started playing not very not very good. And then he was great in the New Orleans series. And you know whether or not he can turn it on for a series or two will uh, be an interesting thing to see. Assuming but he get can't. Money. You can't expect someone to get injured in one of these playoff series and for him to step right. up and do the hero act. And 14 then for, for 14, him to be, right. <laughs> let's say you expect it to happen. You cannot expect him to be uh, good after that. No, you just yeah, can't. Because exactly. it's clear right. he has something he left in the right? tank. Yeah. But once it's gone, it's gone. We've seen it for two straight playoffs now that he has something left and he will have something left in this postseason to be clear. But the hope is everyone's healthy. Kevin Durant's here. You barely have him use it time to time, basically. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's tough. I, I I feel for him. I think what really made his decline, and this is all expected, right? I don't want people to attack Chris Paul for this. This is what happens to people as they get older. Uh, it, and and the Suns signed Chris Paul knowing that this would happen at some point, but seeing how the Bucks were defending the Suns with Chris Paul on the floor, or even the Mavs to a lesser extent. That was 40 points for Chris Paul, <laughs> you know, last year. <laughs> like it wasn't yes. even, it wasn't, I'm not talking young Chris Paul. I'm talking last year. And, and you know, the fact that they were willing to go that deep with the drop. And look, Lopez is like one of the best at still going deep and, and still contesting if you shoot for mid-range. But like they were doing that he would just kill it. That's like the defense that he kills. His whole offense is designed around that. And, you know, the fact that that so often was a DeAndre Ayton mid-range shot, which is fine, but just does not generate the type of offense that Chris Paul mid-ranger does because it can turn into lots of things, assists, three-pointers, shots at the rim, whatever Chris Paul can do with that. It's just, it sucks. <laughs> I feel bad for him. I'll give another, po- I'll give a positive one here to, to counter that one a little bit for those who are, uh, bummed out the way I am. Uh, from the beginning of the season until January 1st, the Suns' defensive rating with DeAndre Ayton on the floor was 116. Oh. And, yeah, for those who don't know a lot about defensive ratings, 
that that makes it basically like a bottom five defense in the so NBA. So that noise means, yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's horrible. It's really bad. Since January 1st, it's 111. Oh. Yeah, which for those Pretty who don't good. know, top 10 defense essentially. Pretty good. Yeah. I think the flip in, in DeAndre in, and how the Suns have played with him on the floor, partially due to DeAndre and partially due to there was a lot of bad players playing for the Suns in minutes in 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 a previous stretch where guys were injured, but this is since January first, meaning that includes time where Devin Booker was off the floor, different guys missed time, and I think uh, one of the most important things for the Suns was getting their defense right with DeAndre in on the floor before the season ends, and lately there has been some concern about foul trouble, which is something we've never had to worry about with DeAndre in in the past. Uh, but, you know, they are trying new things, and I think they will continue to try new things when Kevin Durant's back. But just nailing the drop and being one of the better drop bigs in the NBA is vital for the Suns when it comes to DeAndre. And, and, and look, there has been some pretty significant improvement, and I hope it gets even better as the playoffs come. I think it will come. I think that he was just kind of starting to... I think... His mentality was there at the start of the KD games, and it even stuck there while he wasn't getting the ball. I don't know how you felt about those three games that he played, but I thought that in terms of what you need him to do, he was there. To loop this back into the Chris Paul point, like Chris just has to be their fourth best player now. That's all he has to be. Yeah, DeAndre exactly, is yeah. obviously the guy that has to be the third best player, primarily because of his defensive role. Like If DeAndre is playing at what he's capable of, which is being one of the five best defensive centers in basketball, then... They're fine. They're completely fine. They do not. It, if he doesn't dunk it, if he shoots floaters, it doesn't. It doesn't matter as long as he's playing defense the way that it should. And it goes back to what we talked about a long time ago on this podcast and what I said. Like they're they should be looked at as a defensive team now because Kevin Durant and Devin Booker is your offense. Like that's it doesn't have to. It's not going to be that. Of course, that there's so much complexity to it that that will get there, and a lot of different guys are going to be involved in the offense, but. That's a walking top 10 offense. That's a walking playoff offense when it gets to more half court. You're fine. You just need to be able to play defense now. So the amount of plays where Tori and DeAndre are looking at each other like, why didn't you go there? Like That's the kind of stuff that has cut down more over that time that I've noticed. And I started to see a little bit more of it in today's game, which was not not concerning, but it was just like pointing more toward what the troubles were that we were seeing. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just think that he's been, on that end, he's been pretty solid it I he's mean, getting God, better it was it was there, rough at the start of the it year was, it was rough it was i mean the suns were literally like a i compared it online to the charlotte hornets they were basically the charlotte hornets defensively when deandre and was on the floor for the first half of the season that's how bad it was and uh and you know with what he's doing lately basically if the suns don't have a top five defensive center in the playoffs they probably can't win the title because that's his role defensively is just so, so important for the team. And so to see it starting to click a little better lately, you know, better even more in the last month or so than just January 1st, it's just really important. And for him, it was as much as miscommunications as far as like not switching at the right time, which he doesn't switch that much lately anyway. It was more that he was just too low so often, just too low. Um, I still have pretty big concerns about teams that just shoot around DHOs the way like the Warriors do. And I think the Grizzlies have some guys that can do it a lot. And there are other teams that can really take advantage of that. But I just, you know, 
I there's a lot of fake contests by DeAndre and on the perimeter that I think need to in the playoffs turn into real contests in order for the Suns to be good. Because he's not getting back for the rebound in time. He's got to contest. Yeah, he's got to contest because he's not. Yeah, exactly. He's not rebounding anyway. So force them to drive and trust that Kevin Durant's going to be down there. You know, or even Booker or Chris Paul the foul. Like, whatever it's going to be, just don't give up wide open threes over and over and over again against the teams that thrive on wide open threes. So that's that's the one thing I want to look at. Now, can I can I give you my Charlotte Hornets stat? Sure. They're 22-50, and 50 and they've won four more games on the road than the Warriors. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's crazy. The Pistons are sixteen and fifty six and they've they're seven and twenty seven on the road. The Warriors are seven and twenty nine. Wow. Not crazy. Yeah. It's just so weird. What a weird season. For yeah, I think it's a DiVincenzo averages like fourteen at home and seven on the road. Like it, he loses I, half his points per game on the road. Like I, I know Suns fans got nervous when they started creeping. I was like, There's a five game road trip coming up. They're just not gonna win. Like it's <laughs> At a They've already point, lost you have to trust two, yeah. what's happening. Or have yeah. they lost three? I think just two. So they far. lost their last game at home, and they've lost the first two of the road trips. Yeah, it including was one where to or fair, Steph but. had 50, and they still lost. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Um, speaking of the West, or speaking of, yeah, let's talk the West. As of this recording, the Suns are 5-5 five and five in their last 10. The three teams below them, the Clippers, the Warriors, and the Mavs, are 4-6 and six in their last 10. So as much as we were worried about this stretch where the Suns were 5-5, five and five, if you if you just look at it in the last 10 games alone, the Suns actually gained ground yeah. on the three teams under them. Now the, the Clippers are playing tonight, so they can, you know, and right now I think the score of that game is... They're, they're up, up by nine, nine with nine minutes to go. Yeah, yeah. so they're probably going to win that one and make gain a little bit of ground on the Suns, but outside of that, the other two below them, not quite that great. There are teams under that that are not like out of reach of the Suns, but look, the Suns have 12 games. Most teams have like between 10 and 12 games left of the season. There's just not a lot of time for teams to make a lot of ground. But weird thing about the West in general is this Utah year. Jazz. <laughs> this year the there are three Western Conference. I'm sorry, no, only two Western Conference teams with a net rating of three or better. Wow. And that is the Nuggets and the Grizzlies. The Nuggets are plus 3.7 net rating. The Grizzlies are plus four. Those are the fourth and fifth best teams in the league in net rating. Only two in the top five. You know, the other three above them are all Eastern Conference teams. The Cavs are currently the best. And then they have the Philadelphia. Uh, no, sorry, the Boston Celtics and the uh, Bucks are the other teams. Last season, there were five teams in the West that had a net rating of three or better. The Suns, the Jazz, the Warriors, the Grizzlies, and the Mavs. The thing about the West that's kind of interesting this year is that there are... Look, there's a ton of injuries that have happened in the West and weird things like John Morant going out for you know whatever you want to call that. Andrew Wiggins missing time yeah. for who knows what. Devin Booker missed a bunch of time. The Suns traded Mikel Bridges and Cameron Johnson now have Kevin Durant. This is such Zion, isn't that crazy? Yeah. What a weird thing. Yeah, there was the New Orleans Pelicans <laughs> were the best team in the league for like two weeks, and now they're one of the worst teams in the league. And him and Ingram have played like twenty games together in the last two years. <laughs> yes, <laughs> crazy. And like so, it's a weird thing where there are two clear best teams in the West so far. Yeah, the Nuggets and the Grizzlies so far this season. Mm -hmm. But that to me, that just doesn't matter. Like, I don't know. How are you going to judge? None of these stats matter. <laughs> like, no. the, the Suns are in a unique, like, 
experience because they especially don't matter for the Suns because their best player now has played three games. And we don't really know what it's going to look like when he plays, but we know it's going to be good. Uh, but yeah, what are your what's your perspective on the West as a whole? The problem is those two teams have huge warts, and they did not address them at the trade deadline when they easily, not easily could have, not for the Nuggets, but the Grizzlies could have easily addressed it. I loved, uh, I know Suns fans would have hated this, but my favorite like Siakam Kuzma team was Memphis. Right. And right. they, they didn't, they got Luke Kennard (laughs) and they're having Luke Kennard dribble. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going the way that you would expect. Like, so Memphis half court offense is just a huge issue for them. It has been for a while now and they haven't done enough to address it. And I think that their defense has been better than you would think. If you hear me saying this, the reason why their net rating is so good, like Mike mentioned is because I think they're top in defensive rating right now. I want to say they're either, top in defensive rating or just uh, just about have been. They're second in the league this year uh, in defensive rating and then an offensive rating. They're still not terrible, but they're 16th. Yeah. So they have this huge wart, which is half-court offense. Jaw's going to help fix a lot of that. Uh, it's going to get neutralized quite a bit by Dylan Brooks thinking he's the guy that needs to be the other person to step up in that situation. How much will Desmond Bain help? They need Steven Adams back. I don't know what the updates are there, but they need him back. because And no Brandon Clark, his, by the way, too, we should say. Yes. Yeah, that, that's a huge he's part injured. of it. Maybe, maybe Jaron Jackson Jr. can help a little bit with some of that. I don't know. And then the Nuggets just get killed when Jokic comes off the floor. Like, they just don't have... Yeah, and they've been getting killed with him on the floor lately. And and Jamal has been good? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think he had twenty points in the in the first quarter today, right? Yeah. Michael Porter Jr.'s like the season three years ago was probably better than the one he's having yeah. now. Yeah, and he's on so, a max. Like if you look at just these teams and what their problems are and all of that kind of stuff, I think like the Nuggets, it's just when they when Jokic goes to the bench, Duran or Booker is gonna be out there just looking at it from a son's perspective. Like when you look at what Memphis is going to be able to do defensively like but what are they going to be able to do offensively from like a matchup perspective and, and everything like I don't yeah, really yeah. see it from that but just as a more broad thing and then Sacramento like we shouldn't just cast them aside they're 16 games over 500 but the Suns proved and, and the Hawks did that same year both proved how extremely rare it is when you have a lack of playoff experience in your starting lineup top six top seven of your team whatever, right? Like, I think Darren Fox is going to be awesome in the playoffs right away, but he's never been there. He's never been there. And it, it's going to hit a wall eventually. Like, Book was, Book set the record, right, for most points in a, in a playoff debut. And the reason why he was able to do that is because no one ever really makes the finals in their first postseason when they're a top one, top two, top three guy. Like, no one really ever does it. So, for him to do that and for Sacramento to be in the position it's in, I just think Sabonis is going to get picked on relentlessly, and that's just going to be a really tough thing for them to deal with from their from their defense. They start a rookie, like Malik Monk off the bench. It's going to be pretty volatile. Like Mitchell is one of the first guys they play. Like their depth isn't that great. So those are like the top three teams in the West. And then after that, the Clippers are a dumpster fire defensively. The Mavericks are a dumpster fire defensively. The Warriors can't win a road game. And now I'm talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder. Like, right. Like that's the next it, or like the, the Lakers. If you want to right. like think about them potentially climbing I, in the standings. I ranked, I did like a future, not a future rankings, but just like how I saw the West from like a tier perspective after the trade deadline. And I put the Lakers second. Yeah. Like I put them behind the Suns in number two just because of how their team balanced out, but also just because of how much I didn't believe in Denver and Memphis. Like Thomas Bryant was not the answer for Denver. Like it just, it just wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I, 
I just don't feel worried enough about the the one the two numbers I've been staring at a lot uh, have been the home records. Denver is thirty and six at home, and Memphis is twenty nine and five, and those two teams obviously are one and three right now. Yeah, they're going to have home so court advantage. Yeah, they are going to have home court advantage. The Nuggets that throughout. Be, that might be what ultimately matters for those teams more than anything else, but. Yeah, look, if the Warriors were 14 and 21 on the road like the Mavericks were, I think I would be able to take them a little bit more seriously. But at a certain point, we have to treat it for like what it is, which is that they can't win on the road and we don't know Andrew Wiggins' status. I need to hear something positive back on one of those. Like if they would have gone three and two on this road trip, Mike, I would have been like, and they still can, I guess. Great. Like, okay, you can like kind of sort of win on the road a little. I don't care who it's against, but you can kind of do it, right? Like they just haven't been able to prove that. Minnesota hasn't even had the full year to figure out what the heck that looks like. And here comes Carl Anthony Towns. Time to figure it out. <laughs> As the playoffs get underway, I'm yeah. sure that's going to go great. Oh, and Anthony Edwards. He's missing some games. Yeah. Yeah. Ankle. It's, it's a the weird Pelicans year. were The Pelicans were always the team that I was the most worried about out of anyone in the West about 20 games into the year. I would have picked them to make the finals. And they just haven't had enough time either with injuries. And they're just going in a really – they're kind of tailspinning more than anyone else. They might not even make the play in right now with the way that they're playing basketball. Yeah. So all of this is to say that if you had to rank the, if you had to just not, cause you can't say like, okay, the five best teams are all in the Eastern conference or whatever. Right. Because they have to play against each other and all that kind of stuff. But if I had to look at objectively going into the playoffs, who do I believe the five best teams are in the league? I would say the first Two or three are in the East right now just because of the KD thing and how many games they have with him. That's the only reason I'm not saying the Suns. And then I wouldn't object to throwing Philly in there. I'm, I'm They've been really good. on Harden, but they've been fantastic. And with Embiid on the court, it's absurd. They're extremely good. Yeah, and, and Cleveland's got like a legit – they've got a legit all-star backcourt and they've got a legit frontcourt. Like yeah. They, 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 are, they have a really, really good top four. Knicks are playing really, really, really well. Like I just don't think that there's – much competition in the West. If the Suns were in the East, this would be a completely different discussion for me, but it's not. I don't really see any true threats for them. I'm with you. I think if you're a Suns fan and you're watching the last few games and you're thinking, how in the world can you call this team a contender? Just because things have gone bad in the last few games. Just look around. Just look around a little bit. You know, it's just not, it's a weird year in the West and the Suns have a, a pretty good chance to, to get out of it. It's it's just, I don't know. I If you're a gambler, don't gamble on the West this year. <laughs> that would be uh -oh. my advice. You know, if you want to bet on the Suns because you're betting with your heart, feel free to do that. But just understand that you're betting with your heart. It's a weird year and uh, something weird could happen this year. Like, you know, you talked about the Kings. You know, they have one of the best offenses ever at this point. But like we all know what it takes to win in the playoffs. It, often you need more defense. We're all Suns fans. We've seen what happens with Steve Nash and those teams. And yeah, they got to the Western Conference Finals twice. But that's after not making it a bunch of times. And, you know, there's only one of the top five defenses in the East. Four out of the five top five defenses are in the West. I'm sorry, the, the East so far this year. And only one of them is in the West. So it's just a weird year. And it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. One last quick one for you since we're already over an hour here, which I, I assumed we would get to even by accident. There, That's what I do with you, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> there are five players who have started... 50 or more games this year and averaged less than eight points per game. I'm going to repeat it so it makes more sense. There, yeah, are, there are five players who have started 50-plus games this year and averaged less than eight points per game. Do you want to try and guess any of them? 
<laughs> How many are in the West? Let's see. We got one, two, three. One of them was in the is West the, and is now in the East. That's one is hint. one is one on the Suns. One is on the Suns. Yes. Okay. Um, Tory Craig. Tory Craig. That's why I looked this up exactly right. Uh, Jaden McDaniels. No, he didn't come up here. Maybe he hasn't started fifty games. I'm not sure. He probably averages more points than I'm thinking. Yeah, eight points is pretty low. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty rough. He's averaging 12 a game. How dare I insult him? That's go. just rude. Man, I I don't want to sit here and think for three that's minutes. That's okay. I'll, really I'll, to, I'll read them out ahead. here. And they're all going to have something in common, I think. PJ Tucker. Ah. Kevon Looney. Ooh. Patrick Beverly. <laughs> and Dwight Powell. Right. Which I, got, I looked at the Mavericks and I was like, who's the guy that doesn't shoot on that team? Isn't it weird? Yeah, it. yeah. How, how has he started so many games? That team just has not figured out their big uh, and what they're going to do with the big. But, yeah, I just wanted to point out the Suns are in a weird year where they needed Toy Craig to start all these games. They just needed it. But it's not common that a guy who can't score like this plays this many games and starts. He started 54 games for the Suns. The Suns are 27 and 27. Exactly. 27 and 27 in those 54 games that Torrey Craig has started this year. Just a weird year for the Suns. You know, it was supposed to be Cameron Johnson. Now it's supposed to be Kevin Durant. And it will be Kevin Durant at some point in the near future. But the Suns have needed somebody like Craig. And and look, for what he does, Craig, defensively, he's not P.J. Tucker. He's not Patrick Beverly. He's not Kevon Looney, who's an incredible defender as well. And, you know, it's not that that just drives home the point that he's just not supposed to start. And soon he won't be. We'll be able to see Kevin Durant again. There's 11 games left in the season. Los Angeles Lakers, Sacramento Kings, Philadelphia 76ers, Utah Jazz, Minnesota, Denver, OKC again, San Antonio, Denver again. And by the way, both of those games with Denver are at home for the Suns. And then you have at L.A. and then the Clippers at home, at L.A. being the Lakers. Those are the final 11 games of the season. And then the playoffs begin after April 9th. It'll be fascinating to see if the Suns can hold on to the fourth seed or move up. I mean, I guess I've sort of ruled out moving up in my mind. The Kings and the Grizzlies continue to play well. So it just feels like four is the best they can get. Any last thoughts on the rest of the season, Kellen? Since this will probably be the last time we have you on before the playoffs. So OKC, they're two and one against, or they're one and two against. They're one. They're and two, two and one, I, I believe. So that's another really good. It shouldn't come up because there's uh, there's three back in the loss column. So who knows? But uh, the next tiebreaker for them, if it goes two two, uh, would be conference record, and the Suns are six games over five hundred, while the Thunder are three ga- or two games below five hundred. So there's a really big gap there. So the Suns would be good with that tiebreaker. If you missed Matt Peterson and I's tweets, they're pretty much good on the Clippers with the tiebreaker, and then the Warriors they already won that tiebreaker. So and in the Kings they situ- could still you know the Kings they could yeah. still beat again if they catch the Kings somehow. Uh, that game against Sacramento at Sacramento could be important. Yeah, uh, and Dallas is done, right? Or is it is it two is it two two? Do they have one more left against? Them? They do not have any more games against Dallas. It's two two, and then Dallas in the West is twenty seven and twenty one, and the uh, Suns are twenty four and eighteen. So that one's going to be pretty tight. But I wanted to mention all those because 
if you haven't been paying attention to the standings all year, it's been this air tie pretty much all year. And some of these teams are going to tie. Like tiebreakers are going to get triggered in the West. Yeah. And it could it could happen three times. Like there could be three different teams tied. There could be a three way tie somewhere. That's different tiebreakers. I don't even know what the rules are for the three way <laughs> tiebreaker. I just know I I've never looked at them before. There's there's extra pages down there, but as the cat meows for me to shut up, I will say that <laughs> that's the uh, alarm that, to finish the podcast right there. Yeah, <laughs> watch that OKC game. It could it could matter. Yeah, matter. it'll be really 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 fascinating. Uh, Kellen, I hope you have fun watching the NCAA tournament. I am checking in every once in a while uh, to watch that. I know you follow it much better than I do. Make sure everyone who is listening to this. To read everything that Kellen writes, listen to the Empire of the Suns podcast. Listen to when he appears on 98.7. That's the right uh, call number there, right? Nailed it. Okay. Nailed it. <laughs> on the radio as well. It's the only one that I have saved as a favorite, if I'm being honest. I don't listen to radio unless it's sports radio at all. Uh, but, yes, thank, thank you so much for joining me, Kellen. You're the best. Thanks, man. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.